Welcome to eHealth Talk, a podcast from Health Informatics New Zealand and hosted by me, editor of eHealth News, Rebecca Macbeth. This podcast provides a regular roundup of news and views from across New Zealand's data and digital health sector. Please be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Kia ora koutou. Welcome to eHealth Talk NZ. Thanks to the College of Nurses Aotearoa for sponsoring this podcast episode, where I'm joined by Professor Jenny Carrier from Massey University's School of Nursing. Welcome on the show, Jenny. And you recently gave an inaugural address titled Reimagining Nursing Through a Feminist Lens. Can you tell us more about how that came about and why you chose this topic? Thanks, uh, Rebecca. Um, I've had a long uh, career of using a, a feminist lens in both my research and the way I think about um, politics, policy, uh, and nursing as a profession. So when I needed to do an inaugural professorial address at Auckland University, it seemed appropriate to uh, to use that lens. And you talked in the address about nursing being a profession where you have to struggle constantly for recognition, respect or regard. And many listeners might be surprised by that statement in 2023. Can you tell us more about your experience? I can. I think it's uh, it's ironic because actually the public almost always choose nurses as one of their most um, favourite um, professions or occupational groups. Um, and most people talk about nurses, uh, many people in the media talk about nurses as angels, as heroes. So there is a kind of regard, but it's a kind of meaningless regard, which in many ways um, negates the actual value of nursing as a professional discipline. So when you look at significant regard or meaningful regard, uh, the, the engagement of nurses in decision-making, the engagement of nurses and leading structures, organisations uh, and change. When you look at uh, the number of nurses who are around the policy table, it absolutely bears no relation to the fact that nurses, nurses are the largest professional group in health, work in literally every single corner of the health system and yet are pretty much always relegated to the sort of worker bees in the background. So that notion of regard has two sides to it. And I'm more interested in nurses being engaged in really meaningful leadership of the kinds of decisions and directions that the health system takes and the way it delivers services and cares for people. So why do you think it is important for nurses to be involved in leadership and decision-making and policy development? And why aren't they now, do you think? Well, I think the why aren't they now is uh, has got something to do with how nursing is thought about. But let's deal first of all with why it's important. As I just said, um, there isn't a corner of the health system in which nurses aren't closely working with people who receive the services. They're there 24-7 in everything from prisons to community services to Plunkett to acute hospitals, general practice, right across the board. And many nurses across their long careers work in quite a few of those settings and they gain a really in-depth understanding of what works for people, what doesn't work for people. They understand who misses out 
Um, they understand very strongly because of the way we prepare nurses, the impact of culture and poverty, um, the, you know, the social indicators of deprivation, etc. They understand how those impact on who gets healthcare and who doesn't, and who gets successful healthcare and who doesn't. And so you actually need to take what a PhD student of mine, uh, Dr. Rhonda McKelvey, came to call situational intelligence. And nurses have a huge amount of situational intelligence because of that close, close association with the end users of health services. And if you don't take that knowledge up into the decision-making tables, then the decision-making is highly likely to be flawed or irrelevant. Interesting. And because obviously, you know, we've talked for a long time about having a sort of consumer-centered health system. And it sounds like you're saying, you know, that nurses are really the closest to the consumers in terms of understanding their realities and the impact of decisions made on them. Would you say that's a fair analysis? Nurses, yes. I mean, I'm not suggesting for a minute that nurses should replace a consumer voice. But you're right, we do talk constantly about um, wanting to engage a consumer-centred perspective. We often end up with advisory groups and decision-makers groups which have one consumer on them, and that consumer is intimidated and outnumbered and often not well-resourced to be there. So yes, consumers should be there, but I believe that nurses do have that really close understanding of consumer um, experience. And also they have a very pragmatic experience of what works and doesn't work in terms of efficiency and effectiveness and design of services and design of buildings because they're there all the time. Mm. Real undertapped resource then. Um, so you also discussed some findings by a researcher, Professor Linda Aiken, um, related to registered nurse staffing. What were those findings and how is the disregard for those playing out in the health system today, do you think? Well, just historically, Linda Aitken is a professor from the University of Pennsylvania and for years and years, probably 30 years now, she has been looking at the connection between the level of registered nurse staffing and patient safety in terms of adverse outcomes, uh, the experience of length of stay, the likelihood of people dying after surgery, uh, the likelihood of them needing to be readmitted, a whole lot of indicators. And whilst she began that work in the United States, people have taken up her work and her research tools and applied them right around the world. And I have, with others, done so in New Zealand. Now, a long time ago, probably 15 years ago, we took uh, Professor Aitken to the Ministry of Health and shared some of her extraordinary findings about the importance of the level of registered nurse staffing. And I remember very profoundly on that day noting that ministry staff actually looked quite bored. And I came to realise that it was actually very difficult for them to understand that nurses as women and backroom workers um, and because of their assumptions that it's medicine that makes a difference, they really couldn't understand or grasp the importance of that research and they were quite dismissive of it. And it's 
it's that even though that research has gone on and been further validated, further strengthened, even though we understand now the costs of adverse events, not just in terms of people's suffering, but actual money. Every time somebody has an adverse event or is readmitted or has a longer length of stay than they needed to, that costs the health system a fortune. But there's this persistent assumption that we'll prune nursing workforce to the bone in order to save money. And what Linda Aitken's arguments and all the others who've joined her work, that argument is that the more you spend on registered nurses, the more you will save on all of these other uh, waste, this other wastage of money in, in things that could be prevented. You talked as well about nurses and clinical roles not feeling valued. Can you elaborate on where that feeling comes from and why you think it's the case? Well, I think it's a sort of trickle-down effect because nurses who, and there are many, many nurses who actively decide that clinical practice is their passion and they don't want to be involved in leadership or policy or administration or management. But at the same time, they see that the people who are in those roles, that the sort of generic managers, the politicians, the, the uh, bureaucrats, etc., they recognise that they are not being taken seriously. They see the chronic understaffing. They see that every time there's a restructuring, a lot of nurse leadership positions are cut out or nursing staffing is further paired to the bone. And and of course, the effect of that is to realise that you're actually valued in a very limited way, that there's quite a level of lip service paid to, to nurses in terms of their contribution. They often see that their medical colleagues are, are accorded a great deal more respect and a great deal more opportunity to take leadership and have influence. And of course, that has an effect. And what do you mean when you talk about feminised labour and what is the impact of that perception on nursing? So by feminised labour, I mean labour that's closely associated with what, what we might loosely call women's work. So we know that women still do the greater bulk of work in the domestic sphere. They take do the bulk of child raising. They do the bulk of domestic work. They look after elderly parents, etc. And so we, uh, in feminist scholars would call that feminised labour. And there's quite a bit of rollover from that thinking into understanding nursing. And so it plays out in nursing that nursing is seen as slightly akin to domestic servicing work. And therefore, often the, the value of education, the value of lifelong learning, we've had to struggle so hard for so many years to get proper investment in nursing education, proper investment in postgraduate education, because there's a limited understanding of its relevance, even though yet again, we have very strong evidence which links the level of education, um, the level of postgraduate education to directly to patient outcomes and patient safety. And so again, that compounds the perception nurses have of their value. You also talk about um, exposure to the work of philosopher Jacques Derrida as having a powerful influence on you. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, and it relates very strongly to what we're talking about. Um, during my own doctoral work, which was 
way back in the 90s, um, I discovered this particular philosopher, Jacques Derrida, and he, uh, amongst other things, and I, this is a very simplistic description of his work, but sort of appropriate for the time we have, he talked a lot about the notion of binaries and binary opposites and the fact that many things, uh, there's a kind of oppositional pairing and that generally and almost without, in fact, without exception, one side of the binary is valued and one side of the binary is disprivileged. And I've particularly explored that notion when thinking about masculinity and femininity. And masculinities and femininities are not static entities. They are very fluid. They change over history. They change over location. They change within cultures. But they both always exist. And generally, we attribute certain characteristics to masculinity of being rational, being logical, of the mind, of production, of the public sphere. And similarly, we attribute a range of characteristics to femininities. For instance, um, the private sphere, um, irrational, emotional, subjective, uh, closely associated with the body and with consumption rather than production. So if you think about that binary and you think about how we view medicine and nursing, then clearly we tend to assign the characteristics of masculinities to medicine and the characteristics of femininities to nursing. And that links back to um, my argument that nursing is seen as feminized labor. So when you, again, just to finish, think about those binaries and think about what is valued in the health system for a long time, the health systems have operated in a very neoliberal framework, which puts above all else cost efficiency, rationality, logic, um, budget pruning, bottom line, etc. And so there isn't much room within that thinking to consider the work that nursing does, which is closely aligned with um, people's comfort, safety, emotional well-being, um, alongside many other things that nurses do. And so what do you think the impact of these binaries has been on the development of nursing as a profession in New Zealand? I'm not sure the binaries have impacted on the development of nursing, but they've impacted on the perception of nursing as a, percept, as a profession in New Zealand. And so very, very much nursing services are seen as a commodity. Uh, they're seen as um, important but backroom work, maintenance of the sort of day-to-day -day while other people get on with making the decisions, um, making investment decisions, uh, making service structure decisions, etc. So it's more about uh, the perception rather than the development. And you've mentioned you've done previous research in this area. What can a feminist analysis offer to nursing in terms of offering strategies to change this status quo? Well, one of my experience, long experience of teaching nurses is that nurses, sadly, despite <laughs> the obvious alignment of, nurse, of feminist scholarship with nursing's problems, um, is that very few nurses do have a well-developed understanding of feminist scholarship. 
And in fact, many nurses that I've taught, uh, registered nurses, are kind of still a little bit stuck in the notion of feminism that existed in the 70s, that it was all about equality, women's equality with men, and a a tendency to view men as bad and women as good. And it's sort of really simplistic. And of course, that doesn't fit comfortably with nurses who uh, come into nursing to care for men and women equally. And of course, feminist scholarship has moved on and now is much more closely aligned with looking at how gender plays out, looking at deconstructing gender and using that understanding to do things differently. And I I do believe that until nurses clearly understand their kind of association with feminised labour, their relegation to non-decision-making roles, then we won't change. But I'm not sure that it's just nursing that needs to grasp that. I think that the health system consistently believes that restructuring, um, (laughs) de-investing, trying to save money, uh, I think it's really a hiding to nothing. We keep thinking we're going to do the same things over and over and that somehow it will miraculously be different. And it's very clear that it won't be different. So I don't think the changes can be achieved by nursing on its own. In actual fact, the health systems need to take a critical look at what they value and how they invest. So why do you say your hope for this remains unfulfilled? Well, I don't see any signs that that's going to change. I I just don't. I think even with the current health reforms, um, you know, for instance, we talk constantly about patient-centred care, but there's no real significant change towards that that I can see. A lot of what you're saying, I think people would be surprised, you know, in this day and age that that's still the case. And certainly the strategies and the things that come out about the health system, but just the way society is moving in general, nursing just doesn't seem to have been afforded the same yeah, forward movement, I guess, in terms of the way it's regarded and perceived. Yes. Well, I think it is this – I think it is this uh, – incredibly gendered notion of nursing as woman's work and therefore not needing to be consulted or engaged at at a leadership level. Obviously, there are lots of nursing leaders who are very effectively running organisations. But even in this day and age, they often don't hold the budget and therefore have a very limited ability to influence how they lead those nursing services. And some scholars have written quite powerfully about the notion of accountability without control. And that's exactly, when you ask a a nurse to be the director of nursing in a major hospital, but you don't give that person the budget for nursing services, but you at the same time accord them complete accountability for the safety and effectiveness of the nursing service, you are asking them to be fully accountable with what happen, to what happens without actually having the control over how they staff and how they design those services. And that's an enormous anomaly in the 21st century. Mm, indeed. So what is your hope for the future? I'd like to think back to um, Dame Jacinda Ardern 
because I think she was the first leader we've ever seen who actively bridged the binaries of masculinities and femininities. She was um, incredibly quick thinking. She had a strong, strong grasp of policy, of politics, of the details, of everything you might argue are required in the domain of masculinities. But at the same time, she was innately comfortable with those aspects of being a human, which you might assigned to femininities. She was comfortable with emotions, with caring, um, with, uh, with showing us the softer side of humanity. And she did, but she embodied both very effectively. And for me, that's a healthy person and it's healthy leadership. And I think until the health system uh, is very comfortable with recognizing the importance of both sides of the binaries, it'll be very difficult for us to move to patient-centered care. It'll be very different, difficult for us to accord nursing with the kind of um, power and influence that would actually make a difference. Well, it's been such an interesting discussion. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jenny, and thanks to the College of Nurses Aotearoa for sponsoring such a great podcast episode. I'm sure it's given the listeners plenty to think about. Um, so thanks for joining us. Uh, ka kite. Ka kite. Thanks for listening to eHealth Talk. Be sure to subscribe and share with your colleagues and friends. eHealth Talk, eHealth News and the eHealth Webinar Series are supported by Health Informatics New Zealand. See hins.org.nz for more information and become a member starting at just $17 a month. We also have affordable organisational membership options for both our industry partners and healthcare providers.